Uh, this morning, I have the pleasure of introducing to you a guest speaker. Um, we have uh, James Tang, who's uh, seated over here, and his wife, Christine. Uh, we welcome you too. Uh, James is the director of Young Life Ministry here in Hong Kong. Um, and uh, they have two wonderful children, RJ and uh, AJ, and they've joined Bridge Kids today. Uh, I'll let James introduce more about his ministry and what he does, so I'll hand it over to him. So let's just welcome James this morning. Thank you, Les. Can you hear me? Hey, it's really good to be here. Oh, oh, sorry, I'm struggling a little bit with this. It's going to fall off. I feel as though I've got big ears that should be able to hold it on, but should be okay. We'll try. Hey, really good to be able to meet you all. I've been uh, friends with Eric for a few years, and we've been trying to get uh, me out here just to be able to meet you all. And I, actually, my wife just shared earlier, just um, our kids, RJ and AJ, uh, they're pastor's kids. So uh, we head up Young Life here in Hong Kong. Uh, but we are also, I'm an advisory pastor of a church in Admiralty called Kong Folk Church. Uh, I don't know if you've been. Um, and uh, they rarely get to see that many other kids uh, for some reason. Uh, we have a service on the Saturday evening. So watching them just meet your children and just watch them go crazy running around was a real joy. And Christina mentioned just the kindness and compassion that came out uh, from the kids that you guys have and just how they were welcomed in. And that really particularly just encouraged just coming to a place where there's people we've never met and we sit together in a group and yet we pray in the same spirit. We sing the same songs and that's huge, that's huge. Just a little bit more background. I don't know if you can hear my accent. My accent, I'm, can, can anyone guess where I'm from? Huh? Australia. Australia, oh. That, uh, I want to say close, but it's not close at all. <laughs> uh, England. I'm from the faraway land of England, uh, from a city called Birmingham. Uh, if you've watched a TV show called Peaky Blinders, uh, that's, where my, that's where my heritage is from, but I try very hard to suppress the Birmingham accent. It's a really terrible accent. Um, so uh, I was born in Hong Kong, but then grew up in England. We went when I was one years old, uh, and I was actually a secondary school teacher for seven years, taught biology. So actually coming into this school, so actually one of my staff, Ursula, actually comes to serve at YHKCC uh, on the weekdays with the school kids here. And actually right now the Young Life team are actually just in Wu War running a Young Life camp. Uh, we went to, we took about, how many kids were there? Maybe 20 kids to go bouldering uh, in the Changsha Beach. Uh, I, was, I was just praying throughout the whole time. I was like, please, no one, no one slip and fall. And, but God was good. And so we had a great time. They're still there now. Um, so I was a secondary school teacher for seven years. And my wife and I were called into ministry. So we started serving in a Chinese church. Maybe not too different from this one uh, in England. And then three years ago, three years ago, uh, the Lord called us to Hong Kong. Uh, we didn't know why. We were kicking and screaming. Uh, we loved England. We loved afternoon teas. We loved the calm life in England. That's where we grew up. Uh, but hey, when, when the creator of the universe tells you to do something, uh, the answer is usually yes. Uh, so we came, and that was three years ago, and we had really no idea uh, why we came. Uh, it was serving in Kong Fook Church. Oh. And then the protest happened shortly after. And then the pandemic happens. And, I mean, Hong Kong was a crazy city for us anyway. Uh, the city that we came from doesn't even have a subway system. So for us to be in the kind of the MTR and the busyness that it was, uh, was just a shock to us. And then the protests happened and then everything goes completely upside down. And it seemingly the city has gone upside down and then the world turns upside down. And now we're just, as Les was mentioning, we're into this new kind of 
season kind of where COVID's still here, but the rest of the world is moving on and we're kind of still in the same place. And then the question that kept coming back to me was, Lord, what do you want from us? What do you want from us here, as your children, as your body? What do you want from me? As someone who was having a coffee with, and they were like, James, what, what do we do as Christians during this time? Like, how, it's, it's so hard to spread hope. It's particularly the last few months. I don't, how is it June? What has happened? Everything and nothing has happened seemingly. And then I was sitting there going, oh, what is it? What do we have to do? And then I really just felt the Lord remind me, you just have to be different. You just have to be different. Jesus tells us to be the salt of the earth, the light of the world. The church, you, my body, my bride, you just have to be different. And James, right now, you look and sound and complain just like the other guy, the guy who doesn't know me at all. How are you different? And that's what I really want to share with us today. And the question I want to pose to you is, how are you, how are we being different? Because that's what we're supposed to be, right? You know, my son, RJ, he asked us this crazy question the other day when we were just about to get home. Uh, and then he said, Daddy, would our lives look any different if we didn't believe in God? And I was like, wow. I mean, I don't know if he realized the deep, profound uh, nature of the question that he was asking. But I was like, oh, man. I mean, of course, it's different for us because we're in full-time ministry, but let's just remove that for a second. How would our lives look different if we didn't believe in God? Or actually, is it just very much the same, apart from the Sunday morning, what we do just before lunch and before we do the rest of the stuff? Do Do our lives actually look any different? Do we allow the Holy Spirit to really transform and change us? And so for me, I looked into Scripture, and I was like, God, show me. Show me what it is to be different. And I opened up this word, and in January, actually, when the fifth wave was just hitting off, just starting to take off, and I was like, man, for the fifth time, for the, well, for the rest of the world would see that it was kind of just our first time, but for the fifth time, Hong Kong were closing up, all the restrictions are happening, and I was like, God, I don't have any more words for you. I went away on a retreat with him, and I was like, I'm just upset at you. I'm angry at you. This is really annoying. We're not able to do anything that we want to do anymore. Why are we still here? And then I opened up the word and I went to uh, the book of Philippians. And actually the call to worship that uh, Les read there was really uh, applicable. And I look at this book. I look, well, I look at this book, this, this letter written by Paul to the church and actually to the first church in Europe. I don't know if you know the story from Acts 16. Uh, Paul, who's a missionary, wants to spread the gospel and he wants to head to Asia. In Acts 16, you say this, and he, there's this magical scene where he wants to go to Asia, but then the Holy Spirit stops him and says, no, don't go. Don't go here, don't go here. And then he, in a dream, he says, go here. Where does he end up going? Macedonia. He ends up going to Europe. And that's where he starts the first church in Europe. And that's when Christianity really spreads over to the West. So this church in Philippi is what he's writing to. And I want to give you a little bit of context about this book here, this letter here. We're not going to home in on just one verse today because I wanted to show you how actually, if you look at the whole letter of this church, this letter to the church of Philippi, you see how different Paul is. So as I'm sharing with you these verses, it's not necessarily to remember each of these verses, but I want you to see how Paul is different. All, look at it, let's look at it together from the lens that Paul is very different. And he's writing to this church in Philippi. So he started the church, first church in Europe. It was a mixed bag of people, very mixed. 
He, actually, so Philippi, the city itself, was a metropolis. Lots of trade, lots of, just lots of life there. But there weren't many Jews. Now, one thing is, uh, back in those times is, if a town had more than 10 Jews, then it would warrant a synagogue. It would warrant, let's say, even a group like this would warrant, hey, let's, let's go for a place of worship. But in Philippi, there wasn't even that. So there was no synagogue. So imagine Paul, who was going to go to Asia, but didn't end up going there, followed the Holy Spirit, and went into Philippi, looks around and goes, there's no synagogue here. There's no Jews here. How am I, what, what do we do? So then Paul decides on the weekend to go, well, if there's nothing in the city, well, then let's go out of the city walls. And he heads to the nearby river, where actually if there's less than 10 Jews, but there's still some, they go out to the river there and they gather there. So Paul meets them and starts talking to them. Hey, how come there aren't many more of us here? Where, are, where, where is everyone? And they start talking and he meets this lady called Lydia, who's a businesswoman. And then she invites them to her home. And then there's a prison guard whose whole family gets saved, if you look at the book of Acts. And then there's a slave girl who was demon-possessed, but then was rescued. And so these people, random, just completely different kinds of people, start to form what was the church in Philippi. And then Paul heads off and carries on, plants lots of different churches. Uh, and later in his life, towards the end of his life, he's in prison. He's probably near the end. He's probably going to die. And he writes this letter to Philippi. So that's the context in which he's writing this letter. And two things were happening during that time for that church. One was external pressure. Persecution was happening. So this, the followers of the way, Christians, were starting to grow. And of course, the outside did not like this. So there was persecution coming from outside, external pressure. But there was also internal pressure. What was that? Divisions. Because where there are people, there are politics, there is arguing. And so not only was there outside pressure coming in, there was also in, inner turmoil. So Paul hears about this whilst he's in prison, and he writes this letter. And I want to tell you today that this letter shows how different Paul was. Do you know what this letter is called? It's often referred to. It's the letter about rejoicing. It's the letter about rejoicing. That's what Philippians is about. You see it all the time. And yet, you realize he's in prison. So he's telling people to rejoice whilst being in prison. That already really sets up the context for how Paul is different, and in some ways how we should be different. And today, as we're looking at what it means to be different, there's really three things that I wanted to point out to us. And I really hope that we can, can, can allow the Holy Spirit to really show us how we can be different in our lives. And the three things are this. Paul is very different in the way he approaches one, community. He's very different in the way he approaches community. Second is, he's very different in the way he approaches adversity. And finally, he's very different in the way he approaches his mortality. Community, adversity, mortality, C-A-M. We're going to try and go through these all through the lens of the fact that he is different. The first one, he is very different when he comes to talking and to thinking about community. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to chapter 1. Or just scroll along with me and see if you can find them. He starts off this letter by saying this. He's writing to the people in Philippi and he's saying this. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, making my prayer with joy. That's how he's praying for people. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, making my prayer with joy. How many of us pray like that for people? How many of us regularly pray for our brothers and sisters in such a way? And actually, I'm encouraged by even today seeing it happen as you pray, as we spend time together as a community, praying for Eric, praying for all these different things that are happening. 
praying for the, the things that are happening, the sad things that are happening even in this school. But Paul has this different approach to community where he's saying, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, making my prayer with joy for you all. And that is just, do we have that? Do we uphold each other in that kind of a high regard? If you scroll further down later, he says, for God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. Let's not brush over that. What's he saying there? How I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. So he can't see these people, but he's spent time with these people and he's yearning for them with the affection of Christ Jesus, with the love that he has for God. He is now having this love for the people in that church. Did we feel that during the time when it was COVID and we were just stuck on Zoom? Actually, COVID has been the great tester. Actually, How much do we value community, right? Some people like, especially the introverts, are like, ah, you know, humans are annoying. I don't really need them around anyway. Um, but then even introverts also need people. If anything, these last few years, Hong Kong has tons of problems. But what's the biggest problem? Disconnection. The biggest problem is that people have been isolated. And yet Paul here is having a different approach to community where he's saying, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. We as a body here, as you think about Pastor Eric, as he comes back, as you think about the brothers and sisters who are going through different kinds of things, do you yearn for them? Do you yearn to be with them? Do you have the same affection for them as Paul does? Do you have the same affection for them that Christ does? You see, here's the thing. The two greatest commandments ever, you know, the part where Jesus says, look, if you forget everything else that I've said, there's only two things I want you to remember. What are they? Love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength. And second, love your neighbor as yourself. Love God and love people. He connects the two together. You can't do one without the other. If you love God, then you must love other people. You have to. And if you're finding that you're struggling to love other people, which we all are guilty of sometimes, right? Especially on the MTR when we're queuing and it's really busy and people are being selfish. We're struggling to love other people. But you see, here's the thing. When I get frustrated at other people, when I stop loving other people, you know what? That's a big red flag for me. I've stopped loving God. Because if I truly loved God, I would love his children. I will love his other people. And there's a different approach to a community that Christ is telling us to have. Later on, he shows us, he actually tells, he addresses the issue of the division. In chapter two, he says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, consider others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but the interests of others. So he's showing people that in order for community to work, in order for life on life to work, there's one thing that has to happen. There's a, one key ingredient. Well, we are just talking about this in the car. The one key ingredient was humility. When you gather together here, how do you, how do you uphold this unity? It's through humility. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others more significant than yourselves. Look to the person next to you. Do you consider them more significant... <laughs> than yourself. <laughs> See some head shaking, but nope, nope, definitely not. I'm more important. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. That's the blueprint for community. Yet if we're honest, do we do that in this world? Hong Kong, we do not do that. I mean, I don't want to miss the MTR. I don't want to be, I'll push back, I'll push past someone to get onto the train so I can be three minutes earlier. I don't care if it's an old lady or not, I'm going to run past her. Uh, but 
we're supposed to have this. If we're going to be different, then we have to have this compassion for other people. We have to have this humility where we look at them and go, man, you are more important than me. I'm going to put your interests above mine. If we carry on later, in the end of chapter 3, he writes to me, he says, my, therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown. When was the last time we called anyone our joy and crown? Maybe, okay, our children do not count because they're cute and they're, they're easy to love most of the time. Um, but when have you looked at your brother and sister in church and go, oh, whom I love and long for, you are my joy and crown. See, we've got some bromance happening over here. Right away. But that's the, that's the attitude we should have for each other. Maybe all of us, all of you, should text Eric right now and go, dear pastor, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown. <laughs> Even like you guys, okay, I'm never inviting James to speak again here. Uh, but that's what we're supposed to have. Do we have that? If we don't have that kind of affection for each other, then the question really is, why don't we? Why don't we? Because Paul was different. Paul had a different attitude towards community. The second is this. He had a different attitude towards adversity. He had challenges. And actually, I'm complaining about the fifth wave. And I'm complaining about everything that's happening in Hong Kong in these last five, three years. But I, it also really doesn't compare to what Paul was going through. He was actually in prison getting beaten. I'm embarrassed to even include Hong Kong in the same sentences Kiev. It's not that bad, but yet, actually, how we deal with adversity shows a lot about our own hearts. And it shows us that maybe we're not that different from the people outside at all, when we really should be. And we see here, Paul says, he says, this is, actually, this is the first thing that jumped out to me when I was looking through Philippians, and I was reading through it over and over and over and over and over again these last few months. And in chapter one, he says this, Remember, he's in prison. And then he says, I want you to know, brothers, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Pause. This guy is in prison. He's writing a letter to the people he knows. And yet the one thing he wants to say, I want you to know, brothers, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. And I was like, are you kidding me? You're in prison. And the one thing you want to tell the people outside is that it's served to advance the gospel. That's it. That's what's on your mind. And I'm like, man, that is not how I am thinking right now. And then I have this image where maybe suddenly for any reason at all, I pass away and I meet my creator. And I stand in front of God Almighty himself. Oh, no, actually, I wouldn't be standing. I would be lying face flat on the floor, terrified. But he, I can imagine him asking me, James, what have you done in these last three years? What fruit do you have? And then I can imagine myself trying to use the earthly excuse. Well, you know, God, COVID. Can't do anything during COVID. We've all used COVID as an excuse for some reason, right? Some friends that maybe we don't want to meet. Oh, it's better so safe to not meet today. COVID. Uh, do you think, and then I was like, do you, James, do you think God would accept that as a reason? Or do you rather, do you think he'd want you to have the heart of Paul where he's saying, I want you to know, but that what has happened in Hong Kong has really served to advance the gospel. That's a different way of looking at it, isn't it? That whatever has happened, whatever is happening in Hong Kong right now, is God in his grace, in his mercy, allowing us to serve him, allowing us to help advance his gospel. Do we think like that? Or do we simply think about all the restrictions that are happening? 
Paul was different in the way he dealt with adversity. His mind was different. Imagine him sitting in prison where he should just be, oh, this is life. Woe is me. So all this, all this whipping really hurts. I'm, I'm in so much self-pity right now. No, he was like, I want you to know what has happened has really served to advance the gospel. Are you kidding me? He says later in chapter one, he says, it has been granted to you for the sake of Christ that you would not only believe in him, but that you would suffer for his sake. Because he tells us, he shows us that actually Christian life is not just about being blessed. It's not just about being able to say, hashtag blessed because God loves me. Peter says, don't be surprised at the fiery trials that exist. But for some reason, we are very surprised and shocked every time something doesn't go our way. In chapter two, there's a little bit that God really gave me a bit of a right hook on. It says this, it says, do all things without grumbling or disputing so that you'll be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. And when I read that bit, I was like, man, you know what God, I felt God say to me? He says, James, you are grumbling. You look no different to the guy sitting next to you, you are grumbling. Now there's a difference. There's a difference between grumbling and groaning. And I'll tell you the differences. The groaning is what we see in 2 Corinthians where Paul's saying, we are, we're in our earthly tent right now and we're groaning for the kingdom of heaven to come. We're like, God, just, just come to us now, just rescue us from, from this pit. There's that kind of groaning, which is almost a righteous kind of groaning, but there's grumbling, which is what most of us do most of the time. At least for me. Oh, this, that, this, oh, they don't make sense. Why are they doing this? This totally doesn't make sense. I'm just grumbling. And the Lord, I felt the Lord remind me, James, as a child of God, grumbling is a very bad luck. Right? If you knew who, if you truly trust in me, know that I am your father in heaven, that I am in control, that I've got this, you grumbling looks actually a little bit silly. Stop grumbling, James. Approach adversity differently because you are different, because you are a child of God without blemish in the midst of this crooked and twisted generation among whom you should shine as a light in the world. So my question to us is, how do we approach adversity? There's that old song, you know, when the going gets tough. What happens to you? I'm sure, actually, you don't even need to go that far behind now to look. When something bad happens to you, when something challenging happens to you, when you face adversity, how did you respond? How did you react? And was it any different to someone who doesn't know Christ at all? Was it different to someone who doesn't have a relationship with God at all? Because it should be, right? It should be different because we know the beginning of the story and we know the end of the story and no, we're not quite there yet. So we should have that hope and that faith that we're gonna be okay. But do we have that? Do we approach adversity in the same way? Have we learned to be content with everything? Have we learned to be content with doing church on Zoom? Have we learned to be content with all these restrictions, wearing masks, whatever it might be? Have we learned to be content? At the very end of the letter, he says this. He says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned to be, in whatever situation, to be content. For I know how to be brought low, I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. That's the heart of Paul when it comes to adversity. He knows how to be brought low. He knows how to live in chains, in prison. He knows how to abound. He knows how to live in freedom. 
But for him, it doesn't matter. Plenty or hunger, abundance and need, it doesn't matter because he can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now that's a passage that we hear a lot, right? I'm a big, big basketball fan and my, one of my favorite players is Steph Curry. Um, and he has it written on his shoes. Uh, Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. But sometimes we take that verse and we think, oh, that's, that's, that's God telling us to, to kind of dream big and then to chase those big dreams and we can do it. We can all do it. That's not what he's, Paul's talking about. Paul's writing in prison and he's saying it doesn't matter whether I have plenty or a little, abundance or need, whatever. I can do everything. I'm content in whatever situation. He approached adversity differently. Do we approach adversity differently? And if not, why not? What is it that's kind of holding on to us? I felt this as well. I was praying to God. I was like, oh God, just let Hong Kong have peace. Let just, can everyone just be happy and peaceful? Can COVID be over? Can we, can we fly again? Because we all need to fly again. Can we, can we travel again? Can we do all these things? Can we have peace? And I felt the Lord remind me, James, what, what, what peace are you praying for? Why do you want peace? Because often we want things to go back to normal. Why? So we can do our own things. So we can go to the park, so we can play sports again, so we can go eat, eat food and restaurants. All of those things. And I was like, man, I think I'm idolizing peace, or at least not real, the real right kind of peace. I'm, I, I'm just want, I just want things to be back to normal so I can do what I want to do. And actually, this adversity is simply stopping me from doing the things that I want to do. And that's the wrong attitude. How am I approaching this season of challenge? Am I genuinely being different? Am I genuinely seeing things from Paul's perspective? from God's perspective. So the first one is community. Second one is adversity. And the final one is mortality. We all fear death. We live in the city, the culture, that probably fears death the most. Hence how we respond to things such as pandemics. If, if you're familiar with the Cantonese culture, death is like the is the ultimate thing of everything. Like you can, you can start, you can, like in Chinese it's like, you can seal say, bow say, moon say, everything is say, isn't it? That's the fight, gang say, hat say, everything is death. So we have this thing where, so we have this thing where actually for us, the way we approach something like that tells us a lot about ourselves, tells us a lot about what faith we truly have when it comes to Christ. Because we believe that actually death is not the end, right? So then why are we so scared of it? Whereas Paul approaches his mortality in a different way. In chapter one, he says this, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So he's in prison, he's going, it doesn't matter. In fact, he says this, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For me to live in the flesh is fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. My desire is to be with Christ for that is far better. So he actually thinks I would rather go and be in heaven right now with Christ. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know I will remain. So he has this fine balance, this fine perspective on life and death, on his own fragility, on his own mortality. And yet he knows that every day that he has here has been granted to him by God and he's supposed to live it out for him. So he says, live is Christ and to die is gain. He's okay with either. How are we when we're approached with those topics? When we approach 
the issue of life and death, of our own mortality? Are we any different from those outside who don't know him? Because later in that letter, he also says, but our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body. That's what we believe in because we're citizens of heaven. So shouldn't we act that way? And actually, it really comes down to how we approach life will tell us what we think about death. Are we storing everything up here? Are we just living out completely out of fear here? Or are we living in a, in a place of freedom where we recognize that our days are numbered? Yet every day that we have is a day that the Lord has given us. So therefore we rejoice and we are glad in it and we live for him in every way. How do we approach an issue such as that? We are supposed to be different. And of course, the famous passage that Les shared on a couple of weeks ago, Philippians 4, says, do not be anxious about anything, right? Just rewind that a little bit. It's rejoice. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, make your request known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds. If we have the right mindset when it comes to life and death, when we have the right mindset, knowing that the Lord is at hand, then we don't need to be anxious about anything anymore. That we can actually have thanksgiving in our hearts when we pray to him. And the peace of God that surpasses understanding will guard our hearts and our minds. And this was my final revelation. It was, it was a peace that surpasses understanding. What does that mean? A peace that doesn't make sense. I think, I don't know about you, but I spent most of my March talking to people, grumbling about how lots of decisions that were being made did not make sense. And I'm like, oh, nothing makes sense. This is not the right decision. And, and, and the feeling that Lord remind me, but you're supposed to be different. You're supposed to have a peace that doesn't make sense. What does that mean? Next time you have a coffee with someone, next time you have a lunch or a dinner with someone, you're supposed to give off this vibe, this mindset that, man, they have a peace that doesn't make sense. This world isn't in a good place. And it's not even in Hong Kong. We look across the rest of the world. This world is not in a good place. Yet we're supposed to have a peace that doesn't make sense. What is that? That is like being at a theme park on a roller coaster and people are screaming whilst it's going up and down, upside down and everything. And then you just sitting there going, it's okay. I have a peace that doesn't make sense, even though life is completely spinning upside down right now, because I know that this ride will come to an end, unless you really love roller coasters. But that's what we're supposed to have. As we're screaming and going, spinning, 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 we're supposed to say, okay, this ride will stop at some point. And because of that, I am okay. Because of that, I have peace. I am in complete balance and a right mindset when it comes to adversity, and my own mortality. I have nothing to lose. I have no fear because my savior, my redeemer lives and that he will come back. And he, he's told us that everything will be all right in the end. Revelation, right? When he comes back and he wipes away every tear and he makes all things new. So that's happening. So everything will be all right in the end. So if it's not all right now, it's because it's not the end. So therefore I'm okay. I could be different. So that's the heart of Paul. He's different in the way he approaches community. He yearns for his brothers and sisters. He longs for them. They are his joy and crown. Do we have that? Are we different when it comes to community? 
Number two, adversity. He faces challenges in a different way. They don't phase him in the same way that it does for us because his eyes are on something else. And finally, his mortality. He's okay with life or death because he knows that his God is in control of both. And this is where I want to conclude. And this is the, where actually the passage from Mark comes in that was so well read. There's a story in Mark where Jesus himself, he's, he's performing lots of miracles. He's, he's gaining a bit of a following. And then he's saying, what does he say? Hey, let's go over to the other side of the lake. And he's setting them up. He's setting them up. Young people say he's trolling them. Why? What's he doing? He's saying, let's go out into the lake knowing there is going to be a storm. And so he goes out and what does he do? He takes a nap. He takes a nap in the boat, knowing that the storm is coming. And then what happens? The storm comes. The disciples, they freak out. They're like, ah, we're dying. Don't you care that we're going to die? You brought us out onto this lake. Save us, do something. And then he wakes up. And then he says, why do you have such little faith? You've seen me do such things, powerful things already. Why do you have such little faith? And then he rebukes the wind and the waves. And he says, peace, be still. And in that moment, it stops. And you know what that passage for me I only recently came to realize in that passage in Mark 4, verse 36, I don't know if you noticed it, just tucked away, and I only noticed it recently. And it says, and there were other boats there as well. I don't know, if did you notice that? And I, was like, I didn't notice that. Throughout Sunday school and my whole childhood, I always imagined there was just one boat, and they were kind of like, that was, it was only them. But there were other boats on that lake going through that same storm. It reminded me of the, uh, the thing I saw online one, uh, recently. It says, um, do you know how people say that we're all in the same boat? And, and then the, the comment was, actually, that is false. We are all in the same storm, but we are all in different boats. Some people have yachts. Some people have kayaks. Some people have paddle boats. Some people have a float. And some people have nothing at all. We're all in the same storm, but we're in different boats. And it reminded me, there were other boats in that lake as well, going through that same storm. The people in those boats would have been just as terrified as the disciples in the same boat as Jesus, correct? It would have been the same. And then it reminded me, but we're supposed to be different because we have Jesus in our boat. Can you imagine the other people in the other boats who didn't have Jesus in their boat? If you look at it like that, the disciples should have been much more calm than they really were because they had Jesus in their boat. The other boats would have been the ones that would be freaking out because they had no Jesus. And it made me think, and this is my final thing, that we are supposed to be different because we have Jesus in our boats. Instead of focusing on all these problems and these challenges that we are frustrated about or are grumbling about, maybe... Just maybe we should pause and look across the lake and see that there are other people in boats who are even more terrified. We are surrounded by a whole city of people who have no hope, who just have no hope for Hong Kong, who have no hope for their own lives. And they, it's because they don't have Jesus. That is why we must be different. We must not be just the same. Not because we're any better than them. That is not what I'm talking about here. But we must be different because we've been called to be the light of the world, the salt of the earth. Jesus is in our boat. We have a peace that doesn't make sense. We have community 
that is different from outside. We have people in a church gathering on a Sunday morning that actually, if it wasn't for Christ, would have no business being together. But because of Christ, they have the real reason why they are together to gather to pray. And so we face adversity in a different way. We're not afraid of death. We're not afraid of life. We must be different because of Christ. So that's my encouragement and that's my question to all of us today. How are you different? How are you different from the one who's outside? And you might be looking at me going, well, who, what does it matter if I am different? I'm only one person. We're only a small church. How, how do we do anything? How do we make any kind of change or impact? But then maybe the final encouragement is this. It's exactly this size of group that Jesus chose to change the world. And I came across a quote the other day, and I want to finish by reading it to you, um, by a lady, an, uh, an anthropologist called Margaret Mead, and it says this, never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it is the only thing that ever has. Let me read that again. Never doubt that a small group of thoughtful, committed citizens can change the world. Indeed, it is the only thing that ever has because they were different. Let us all be different. Uh, let me pray for you, and then I think there's going to be a short time of uh, reflection as well, but let me pray. Lord, I thank you for this community. I thank you for this church here that have been so faithful in, in, in living for you, in supporting one another, in stirring each other up in love and good works. And my prayer for them today, my prayer for all of us today, is that we would be different, not out of pride, but out of hope and love, knowing that you have rescued us and that you have also commissioned us. We remember that there are other people in other boats in this same storm that don't have you. May we be so different so that we can reach them, that we can bring comfort to them, that we can bring assurance to them, but most importantly, that we would be able to introduce you to their boat as well. Lord, show us. Show us how to be different for you, how to be salt of the earth, light of the world. In your name we pray. Amen.